You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Barallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. These are your hosts for the evening. I'm Alex Barallo, joined by Dylan Terriman. Dylan, how are we doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm really excited for this episode we got here. Unfortunately, we end our little streak of four shows in a row with a guest, but this one's going to be fun. I think for listeners that think that you and I agree too much, we could have some differing in opinions, but in a good way. So I'm, I'm excited for this one. Absolutely. And for the listeners, tonight's show is about position battles that are going on or going to happen with the Jets roster. Uh, we were just discussing off air about We've never seen this amount of talent in particular position to where things are just not as cut and dry as they used to be with our former GMs that have put this whole roster together. There are so many position uh, groups where you can mix and match players just by experience or just by talent, and that's going to be our main topic for tonight. It's going to be a battle of wits between Dylan and I. Uh, We're going to go down and we're going to break down a few position groups on defense, and then we're going to do a few position groups on offense as well. And we're just going to try to figure this whole thing out. You know, as of today, June 28th, probably about six weeks away from training camp, and, and that's when we'll get more information on who's rising, who's falling, and you know, who could be a potential sleeper to make the 53 and things like that. So we are really, really excited for this one tonight. But before we get into it, I just would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Miles Social. If you are a business owner and you're looking to improve your company's social media status, go to Miles Social's website and see what they can do for your company today. All right, Dylan. So we just gave the description of what we're about to. Cracking my knuckles over here for say. And uh, it is mm-hmm. go time, as they would say. I wish we had, like, a sound bite to do, like, let's get ready to rumble. But, uh, yeah, we're <laughs> going to start off tonight's discussion on the defensive side. This is Robert Salas and Coach Albrecht's baby. First position group that I would like to get into tonight is one of the more important sides of the defense. It's the back end, our free safety position. Uh, this position here, I've gone and looked at the list, and there is abundance of guys that we have on the roster, but I've narrowed it down to two players that I feel are going to be in a camp battle this year, and I'm targeting LaMarcus Joyner and Ashton Davis. Now, I believe it's a little cut and dry on the uh, strong safety side. The reason why I say that Mm -hmm. is – Ashton Davis was kind of penciled in as an in-betweener. I think that he brings more of a free safety, uh, you know, with his talent level. And, you know, LaMarcus Joyner is very, very versatile. He played nickelback when he was with the Raiders. In his time with the Rams, he also played free safety. So 
why don't you start us off right off the bat, Dylan, and who do you think is going to win the position battle at free safety, LaMarcus Joyner or Ashton Davis? All right, before I give the answer to who I think it is, I want to throw a secret third option in there, and I think Jason Pinnock should be included in this conversation as well. Um, Obviously, the safety position is very, you know, versatile for Rob Sala, so they have to do a little bit of each. I know they like to do more defined roles, but especially for the depth positions, they need to have versatility. So I think Jason Pinnock needs to be included in this as well. Um, I don't think he's the answer. I think LaMarcus Joyner is the answer. Um, I think experience – the fact that they went out and signed him last season, uh, he got injured and they wanted to bring him back this year. They, they feel like there's, you know, maybe some unfinished business. And they think he can actually bring, you know, some good leadership potentially to the team. Um, obviously, he got her minutes into the first week of the season, so we didn't get to see a lick of him. But I think we've seen enough of Ashton Davis to say that he probably doesn't have the inside track to the position. And, that Jason Pinnock is not far behind, if possibly in front of him, to take that position, whether it's the backup position or, like, a matchup safety against, like, big tight ends like Mike Gusecki, because that's important in in this division specifically when you look at tight ends, uh, Dawson Knox and Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry for the Patriots. You're going to need a a bigger person than Michael Carter II if you're playing nickel. Maybe they run three safeties, and Ashton Davis comes in as that role, but – uh, right now, it looks to me visually from what we see, you know, the beat putting out, what the, the building has been putting out in press conferences, that LaMarcus Joyner is going to get every chance to start opposite Whitehead. And then I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Pinnock on the depth chart higher than Ashton Davis. Now the usage is going to be, you know, week to week per se, but I think it, it would go Joyner, Pinnock, and then Ashton Davis. How do you feel about it? That's very interesting. Uh, DJ Vienemy, uh was on our show last week. I had asked him if there was a particular player that might be a sleeper, and Pinnock mm-hmm. was the player that he selected. So that is definitely something we need to put a pin in, and when training camp runs uh, comes around, we're definitely going to be monitoring his progress because of the size, the talent, the youth. Uh, he brings a lot of different things to the table, and I think that he might be penciled in as the number two in the strong safety role, but with his cornerback uh, skills and his experience there, he could be an in-betweener. So I really like that, the fact that we've got mm-hmm. Pinnock in the mix here. If I had to go ahead and, and do a depth chart real quick for free safety, I have to go with LaMarcus Joyner as number one, Davis as number two, and Pinnock as number three. The reason why I'm going with LaMarcus Joyner here is basically experience and the fact that the Jets missed out on what could be with him last year. Uh, He never got to see the field. He got injured well before this thing even started. And I remember being at camp last year, kind of watching him and Marcus May uh, being the defensive quarterbacks and, you know, calling the shots, making sure players are uh, in the right position and place. So at the moment, when you're looking at all of the players that were involved in last year's scheme, uh, Davis has maybe a slight advantage being on the field physically compared to Joyner, but I think the experience level 
of Joyner puts him ahead of Ashton Davis at this point. Uh, I went back and I looked at some numbers from when Joyner was playing safety with the Rams. He had a pretty decent season, you know, with 78 tackles, a sack, and an interception. You look at Davis's numbers last year, and he was playing free and strong safety due to multiple injuries at that at both of those positions. But he ends up with 68 tackles, two interceptions, three pass deflections, and a half sack. So very, very interesting to see how their numbers were uh, quite similar. But I do believe that what the Jets are looking for and what Robert Sala is looking for is what LaMarcus Joyner brings to the table. And mm-hmm. we start off tonight with an agreement, but I know as we get through this thing, we are probably going to be, uh, you know, crossing swords here at some point. But at the moment, you and I are on the same page. LaMarcus Joyner, free safety one for the 2022 season. All right, we're going to keep the theme rolling with our defensive backs here. And this one's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, for uh, most fans, I've seen a lot of debating going on on Twitter. And this is who's going to be the starters for our cornerback position. Now, the three players that we have here is basically Bryce Hall versus our new free agent, DJ Reed, and our new uh, rookie first-round pick, Sauce Gardner. I have it written down here as uh, CB1 Sauce all day. Even though Robert Sala said that he hasn't earned anything and he's got to go out and prove himself in camp, I think when it's all said and done, uh, Mr. Gardner will be CB1 for this team. I uh, really, really hold a lot of weight when it comes to the experience level. And I think last year, some of the downfalls that happened with our corners is that they were just out there for the first time. Brandon Eccles played several games very, very well but there were also times in which he got exposed due to his inexperience being a rookie. I think the same thing can be said with Bryce Hall. The first half of the season, he was very sound. He did not hear his name a lot, which means he was doing his job and doing it quite well. He ends up with 13 pass deflections last season, no interceptions, and that may be one of the reasons why the Jets went ahead and prioritized bringing in a, an experienced corner, in D.J. Reed, and then doubling down on the position and using their first overall pick in the draft with Sauce Gardner. Now, a part of me does feel, because I've seen the work ethic of Bryce Hall, I've talked about this on the show before, when it comes to everybody warming up and getting ready for just a regular practice, there is nobody more focused in my eyes than Bryce Hall. Everyone's laughing. They're dancing to music. They're warming up. They're getting ready for the day. Bryce Hall is a little bit secluded. He's working on his backpedal. He's going through, you know, cadences in his mind. And you can see he is all business. Even in a 95-degree day, he is the only individual that I've seen wearing a hoodie in July and in August, well, in August, rather. So you know that that shows a lot of mental and physical fortitude, and he comes out there to play hard, be in shape, and do his job. So I think that the toughest position out of all the positions that we are going to be discussing tonight, maybe with exception from one position on offense, I believe this is going to be one of the hardest decisions 
that Robert Sala and company are going to have to make. I do see Bryce Hall just due to draft capital that you put into Sauce Gardner and the amount of money that's been allocated with about, I want to say around 30, $33 million on three years for DJ Reed. Uh, could be mistaken there. I'll, I'll look it up right now as you're uh, giving your takes, Dylan. But the way that I have this thing drawn out, Sauce is going to come out on top. I think DJ Reed will be number two. I think Hall is going to end up being three. However, we do know that there is a lot of different defensive packages where there are numerous DBs on the field. Sometimes Sala will put five or six players out there. So even though on paper we may not see Bryce Hall penciled into that, that one and two spot, I do feel that he will get an ample amount of, of snaps and reps come this season because at the moment he is ahead of both of these players as far as being involved in the off defense and knowing exactly what this scheme is. So that is one advantage that he has in this position battle. So do not uh, oversee Bryce Hall this summer when it comes to training camp. Dylan, you're up. So I definitely agree with the order of how you listed them, Sauce, Reed, Hall. I think Hall is the third cornerback for sure. Um, I happen to think it is a little bit more cut and dry than it, than it um, needs to be. I think you're going to have Sauce and Reed out there, hopefully, you know, 95-plus percent of your snaps. And, you know, mostly they're going to play nickel, so that'll be Michael Carter the second. And we know how much that they love Michael Carter the second from everything they've talked up about him. So that obviously leaves Hall and Eccles as your backup outside corners. For me, I, I 100% agree. Bryce Hall is 100% business. He basically is the mantra, all gas, no break. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say a bad word about him as far as his, you know, conditioning or performance on the field. Nobody ever, like, says, oh, Bryce Hall can, you know, be motivated more here. I always think he is motivated to the fullest, and, and that, that definitely goes a long way with the coaching staff for sure. Obviously, his experience helps as well over somebody like Brandon Eccles or even the new guys, Reed and Sauce. But I think Bryce Hall should be on the field some, maybe if, like, they do rotate their outside corners. But I don't, I don't want to see a situation where he's taking slot reps. I don't know if he's necessarily equipped for that. Um, I, I like what Michael Car- Carter II did as the slot guy. And like we just talked about with the safety, that they're just going to bring a third safety on instead of a, a nickel corner, then that would be my route over somebody like Bryce Hall. But I, I 100% agree. He's the, he should be the next man up if maybe an injury were to occur, God forbid, to Saucer or Gardner or Reed or Gardner, excuse me. Then, yeah, Bryce Hall is the, the next guy up. But just following the money and the fourth overall pick like DJ talked about last week, you, you can't. You can't sit sauce, obviously, and you can't justify sitting Reed because I think Reed is a veteran version of Bryce Hall, the way that Coach Sala has spoken about him at least. Um, he's all business. He comes in and he's looking to motivate. He's like the the spark plug of the defense. He comes in and he's he's chirping, but in a good way, and, you know, he's getting everybody fired up. So I think he's, you know, a, a more vocal version of what Bryce Hall is, but I think they're both super, you know, nose-to-the-ground motivated players. And that makes for great competition. You, you brought it up in the beginning of the show that we don't 
we're not accustomed to seeing this sort of depth where we can sit here in July or almost July and talk about position battles before they even strap up the pads. Like a couple of years ago, we were hoping that the sleeper guy in camp was going to be our second best wide receiver or what have you. So it's great to talk about the depth. I, I hope it's not, I hope it's cut and dry sauce read Michael Carter and then injury happens and Bryce Hall steps up before Brandon Eccles. But yeah, I just, I hope there's just not a scenario where Bryce Hall is playing too many reps because I think that's been the, the position that everybody wanted to complain about last year. And now that they've overhauled it, we're like, Oh, well, why don't we just keep Hall? He was good enough. And it's like, well, they did this because the position lacked so much last year. So we can't just praise them for the, the, the work that they made to improve the position, but keep the same players playing, you know? So in my opinion, yeah, Bryce Hall is cornerback three, but that's pretty, pretty much his job to lose in my opinion. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point too. The Jets, from what we know, they were really, really big on Michael Carter the second uh, he got a, he had a lot of sound games as a rookie. Uh, you know, you didn't see him get exposed too much. But, you know, from that entire very, very young and experienced group, there was not a lot of turnovers that came, you know, from, mm-hmm. any, from any of those games. Uh, you know, our first turnover for the season, uh, I think it was Shaq Lawson in like week eight or week nine, and it was like a tipped pass that like ended up going into his hand. So, you know, you could clearly see that they experimented with the young guys. They tried to see what they could do. And it turns out, you know, you end up letting up 500 points on defense last year. So clearly, you know, the Jets have made a lot of moves in order to address some of those uh, deficiencies that we saw last season. So, very, very interesting because, you know, they bring in Jordan uh, Whitehead. They bring back Joyner. You bring in Reed. You draft Sauce. You've got four new pieces now for that secondary. All signs are trending that last year's regime might be changing dramatically. The only one that we might be saying is safe at this point is Michael Carter, but it would be interesting if they did decide to mix and match some things. Now, you and I were talking off air. I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it on. You know, DJ Reed does have a little bit of experience at corner, uh, nickelback corner. Uh, not a lot. He was mainly on the outside. Mm-hmm. But in a scenario where Bryce Hall is just looking like an absolute stud, and due to all of the extra competition that's brought in, if he's playing well and he's doing his job well and he's making a great case for it, how crazy would it be to see them mix this thing around and maybe Michael Carter's job is not as safe as we, we foresee, you know, in the final month of June here. There's something just to think about. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're definitely going to be keeping our eyes on this group as we move forward, but it definitely does seem like Robert Sal and company is looking to make some significant changes uh, from last year's group. Okay. Yep, and, and so you got to you got to play go. your best players. I was gonna say you got to play play your best players at the end of the day. So if there's a scenario where yeah, right. Bryce Hall is balling out and you can't keep him off the field, then hey, DJ Reed's getting paid a lot of money to be the outside corner. But hey, you got to talk to him and say what's best for the team. You know, may not be best for you specifically in your trajectory of your career or whatever. But you know, you're getting paid eleven million dollars. So who knows? They could 
ask him. You know, you never know. You got to play your best players. I know it's not not necessarily Madden per se, but this isn't. You know, DJ Reed isn't some six foot four corner like Gardner. He's five foot nine, five right. foot ten. So like he's he's the same size as Michael Carter to play in the slot, and he probably has more physicality to his game to go up against the Gaseckis and the big slot tight ends that we see in you know today's offenses. This time last year, uh, if you had told me that Les Dawson was on the bubble of being off the team, I would have told you you were crazy. I had not foreseen a Brandon situation. And, you know, they I, I believe they made the right decision. Uh, they liked what they saw. They drafted him as such. Maybe I overlooked it because I was looking at, you know, a particular player that had some experience uh, as a starter in Bless Austin. And Eccles coming in as a rookie, sixth-round pick, not really – you, you know, this is just very bizarre, more or less, because you don't really see that kind of moves coming from, you know, a coaching standpoint. Usually those guys are, you know, special teamers or they end up being on the practice squad. And, you right. know, weeks before the season starts, they make all these moves and very, very interesting. You know, who's to say that things can be, couldn't get mixed up again this year, but, uh, yeah, we thought we had it all pegged out last year, and then things changed dramatically. And now we're going to go to our next group here, and I have the linebacker position penciled up. So basically, uh, we know that Mosley is not in jeopardy um, in any way, shape, or form. He is the captain of this defense, one of the leaders on this team, so he is definitely not going to be discussed in this position battle. But I had to talk about Quincy Williams, going up against a couple young players that were brought in and spoken very highly of, but unfortunately both of them got some injuries where they missed a lot of time. And the two linebackers that I'm speaking out are Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Nasser Dean. How do you see this linebacker position unfolding? Is Quincy Williams safe and it's just a pure lock, or do you see a scenario where possibly one of these young linebackers grabs his spot? I, I definitely wouldn't consider it a lock because he definitely showed some deficiencies in in specific areas of the game, whether it's pass coverage. I think obviously we all know he's a very good tackler and you can hear him thumping from the 300 section in the stadium because that dude is bringing it. It's like he hits harder than his brother and he's given up like 85 pounds to Quinn and it's ridiculous how hard he hits. So no, I, I don't think he's in jeopardy of losing his job right now i think once we get into camp you'll kind of see that position play out a little bit more because it'll be more physical they'll be doing run concepts they won't just be dropping back in coverage you'll get to see what he can do against the run and if he's built upon what he did last year as well as taking the steps in the coverage areas like i mentioned but the forgotten guys you know jamie and sherwood and hamson alzro dean like you it's almost you know you got to wait to see what they can do before you even judge their, their spot on the depth chart. I think Nazarul Dean was a core special teams player, Ulbrich, uh, not Ulbrich, Brent Boyer mentioned in his press conference as a returning player to the special teams unit. And so I think Hamza is definitely going, going to have a role on special teams. Whether he's the backup, I don't know. I think Jamie and Sherwood is probably the backup to Quincy or CJ Mosley. Um, but I'd like to throw a fourth 
person in here, and that's Quan Alexander, somebody that we've, mm. you know, been preaching for for it feels like months now, maybe even a year and some months now because of last off season. And if they find a way to get him in the building next to C.J. Mosley, then yeah, I think Quincy Williams' job is in jeopardy. But right now, I think it would go Quincy with Jamie and Sherwood as the backup and Hamza as the third guy, the most special teams usage and versatility to potentially drop back and play safety. I think they mentioned that before Pinnock made the change, that that's something they could flirt with or that was asked of them last year when they were, you know, short with a bunch of safeties. Somebody asked if Hamza was going to make the transition back. I don't think he ever would, but, hey, you never know in a pinch, you know. You have emergency quarterbacks. You might need emergency safeties, and Hamza Nasruddin's versatility is definitely good. So I can see a defined spot for all of them, but, yeah, Quincy Williams for sure, and then and then Sherwood. How do you feel? I think Quincy Williams is pretty safe at this point. I have some doubts in regards to his coverage skill ability. I wouldn't feel very, very comfortable with him being in uh, third and long situations and passing down situations. I do feel that there was a big reason why Sherwood and Nasser Dean was brought onto this team. It was the fact that they play and they hit as hard as linebackers, but they have the body types of a strong safety. And, you know, Sherwood last year and Nasser Dean, they were kind of going back and forth. It seemed like Hamza was a little bit ahead in training camp. And then somewhere within those last couple weeks, you saw Sherwood move up the rankings and he was the week one starter until he got injured. And then it was Hamza, then he got injured, and then they had to go out and make moves. And lo and behold, here comes Quincy Williams. As mind you, uh, Jared Davis was supposed to be the running mate next to C.J. Mosley. He got injured in camp, and we didn't see Mm -hmm. him until the midpoint of the season. Things just didn't really seem to pan out with him. I don't know if it was when he came back, if he was fully at 100% health, but they did try to give him some reps. Didn't really seem like he was doing or executing the plan uh, through our coordinator's mind or eyes. So I have to say I think Quincy's very, very safe here, but it would not surprise me if a lot of his snaps are reduced this year because of the emergence of one of these two players, Sherwood and Nasser Dean. If I had to put my thumb on it right now, I would probably say advantage to Sherwood because, as you had mentioned, uh, Hamza really, really does seem to have a uh, set position as a special team individual for Brant Boyer. And players like that, coaches end up loving, and you'll always be safe on this roster. So I don't think that either of these players are going to be subject to being on the practice squad or anything like that. I think that they will be on our 53 for sure, but they are probably going to have to show a lot of growth between now to the first week of September in order to take away Quincy Williams' position. So I think he's pretty safe at the moment. Now I think that is going to wrap up the defensive side of the ball Uh, Dylan and I were discussing about getting into it with the defensive line, but there are so many players that are currently in the trenches right now. We may have to pencil that into another show because we could probably spend an hour talking about the different packages and the formations and the different combinations for 
you know, run and pass and zone coverage and things like that. So much versatility with our defensive line this year, it's almost impossible. That might be the Rubik's Cube of our defense right there, trying to figure out who the set Mm -hmm. four are going to be and who you're going to use for your power rush or versus a heavy run scheme offense. Uh, If you're going up against a heavy passing scheme offense, you know, you want to have more speed and versatility with your pass rushers. I think that that show is going to be one of uh, the more in-depth that we can do. So we're leaving the defensive line off the conversation tonight, but we will be circling back to that at some point. So let's go ahead and let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball, Dylan. And I want to start it off with the wide receivers. Now this is a conversation that I see every day, and I see different people um, debating on who is going to be the number four or the number five receiver. I think we can pretty much pencil out the top three at this point with Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and rookie wide receiver Garrett Wilson. I feel pretty confident that that's going to be the top three. However way you want to mix that up in your depth chart, that's up to you. I would pretty much go by experience, which is Davis, Moore, Wilson. But if you want to talk X's and O's and who's your X and who's your Y and who's your Z, uh, possibly I would go with your X would be Corey Davis, your Y would probably be Wilson, and your Z would more than likely be uh, Elijah Moore. And I think that when they're only running two wide receiver sets, I, I can foresee either Davis or Wilson coming off the field. And I think the player, the wide receiver that's going to have the most snaps out of the wide receiver group will be Elijah Moore. Uh, I guess that's an early prediction. Uh, but for this battle, I'm leaning toward Braxton Berrios locking down that number four spot. I think the chemistry that he had with Zach Wilson has to be spoken of down the stretch. The wide receiver group was down to bare bones. We were pulling guys off the practice squad in the final weeks of the season just to get bodies out there. And one man stepped up. He was great on special teams. He was making plays uh, on those jet sweeps, and he was also, you know, scoring as a receiver. I think Braxton Berrios is going to be the number four. I have Denzel Mims on, if this was a horse race, on a uh, photo finish, nose-to-nose. My heart and, you know, being that I was a Denzel Mims fanboy when he came through the draft, I really, really, really want to see Denzel Mims be the number four receiver on this team, but I do think that he has a lot of growing to do. I believe from what we've heard he had a lot of difficulty learning uh, LaFleur's system and understanding what his role is and you know some of the quotes or some of the things that were said last year he doesn't need to know just his position he needs to know all the receiver positions and apparently he was not there from a mental aspect so if you can't do it all you're not going to get any time on the field eight receptions for 133 yards in the entire season definitely speaks volumes on that. So that's why I think Denzel Mims will have to really, really excel. And not only is training camp going to be important for him, but if he can make anything happen in the preseason games, which is only three games this year, so he's really, really got to dial it up. And also, he's got to stay healthy. 
there's been talk about Jeff Smith, and he would probably be the sleeper of this group, I would say. But I think his value is better with the special teams group. But I know that there were lots of uh, formation changes and position um, groupings with certain concepts that LaFleur was running to where you would see three receivers come on the field, all three come off, and three new ones come on. So I think that when LaFleur is mixing up his offensive passing packages, I do think we will see a dose of Jeff Smith, but not as much as maybe is anticipated at this point in time. How do you see it breaking down, though? Yeah, I think as far as the wide receiver four position goes, this is about as cut and dry as I think the cornerback position, if not more so. It's Braxton Berrios, wide receiver four. You could just you put it in ink, in my opinion. The use of it, uh, Davis, Moore, Wilson, those three are going to be your top guys. You could put them in whatever order. I don't think any of those guys are outside of the top three. Um, I agree. I think Elijah Moore will have the most snaps and probably the most targets in this offense, if we're you know being honest. And then Garrett Wilson, I think, could have the second most snaps as a wide receiver because I do believe Corey Davis would be the guy to come off the field in two wide receiver sets. Um, as it gets down to the wide receiver five position, Jeff Smith and Denzel Mims, I think obviously Jeff Smith has the inside track from everything coming out of camp. They've done nothing but, you know, say positive things about Jeff Smith. And while the conditioning aspect of Denzel Mims has definitely been positive from, you know, Sala and LaFleur, I I do think he is not fully there with the playbook, and that is what's been hindering him his entire time with this regime. I think it's going to continue to be a problem. I've mentioned this off air, but I heard on a a separate podcast that Baylor wide receivers in general aren't very – they don't don't master their route trees. They're asked to do, you know, a handful of things over and over and over again, which is fine. I think Denzel Mims can thrive in an offense that asks him to do something like that. I just don't think that's the Jets' offense whatsoever. Just like their safety position, they want versatility. They want guys that can play outside and in the slot. We saw that last year. Um, that's the reason why he didn't get on the field, especially in the early parts of the season. Then he had stomach issues and food poisoning and lost weight. So it was a struggle from then, an uphill battle. But, yeah, I have to say Jeff Smith has the inside track to wide receiver five. Uh, special teams versatility is another reason. I think when you're a depth player, solely a depth player, you have to have special teams upside. Jeff Smith has that. Um, I also think it's worthy to put out that the three coaching staffs have kept him. You know, he was held over from Adam Gase with uh, from Todd Bowles to Adam Gase and then from Adam Gase to Robert Sala. Um, And uh, I think the fact that he stayed just similar to Brent Boyer, like we talked about with Coach Westoff, the fact that you Mm -hmm. can you can keep on a different regime when nobody knows who you are. Jeff Smith was, you know, he was one of those guys a couple years ago that was the sleeper, and he's kind of being the sleeper again. But I think he was that guy that we all banked on, and then when he didn't come through, we were like, we wrote him off, and we were like, ah, screw it. We have two Smith brothers; they're kind of just eh. 
but I actually think this year could be a breakout year for him. If I'm not mistaken, he was a quarterback in college, so he it takes time to learn the position, obviously. And from a quarterback standpoint, you can learn other positions on offense maybe easier, but it's definitely a transition. And I think Jeff Smith has proven enough as a reliable special teams player and for a versatile wide receiver that the team likes to covet. Now, when I pivot to Denzel Mims, I honestly, I think he's on the outside looking in on the 53. I'm not going to, you know, put a number on him like, oh, he's, you know, player 72 of the 90-man roster right now. No, I don't know what he is. But I truly think he's right there on the cusp of on the team, off the team. And I have a bit of a hot take that it's probably not going to go over well, but it is what it is. I don't care. I, I think that there's a, a reasonable path for Denzel Mims to end his Jets career with less touchdowns than Devin Smith had with the Jets. Devin Smith had one touchdown with the team. I think there's a a reasonable case where maybe Mims is looking good and they're only asking him to do a handful of things in practice and training camp and he's doing them well and they can find some trade value out of it. You know, he's a second round pick and you're not going to get a second round pick back by any stretch for him right now, but there's definitely a team that's willing to take a pick or take a you know a swing on a, a top 50 pick who has size and speed. He ran a 4.38. So there's definitely plenty of upside to love with Mims. And like you said, we were fanboys from the start. I, I audibly yelled when when they drafted him. Like, I was just so happy. I don't normally do that for, for non-first-round picks with this team. So I was definitely happy. I have his rookie card autographed. So, like, I, I, if he does well, it monetarily benefits me. I just, I just, it's hard for me to get there and say he's anything more than wide receiver six right now, and that's so hard to say. But that's where I'm at. Wow. Yeah. Do you, all right. I had to ask. Do you see a scenario where maybe Mims is cut? Uh, cut is tough. And okay. if he's cut, and what Boomer Esiason said about Mackay Becton, and we'll get there about him potentially being cut, that's not a good look for Joe Douglas at his 2020 draft class. Um, yeah. I don't think either First of them are in pick, jeopardy yeah. of getting cut. Yeah, I don't think either of them are in jeopardy of getting cut by any stretch. But if they don't find a trade, a trade partner for Denzel Mims and they truly don't have a role and there's other guys, you know, maybe an undrafted free agent guy is popping to them, hey, why not? Play your best players. We talked about it with the corners. Like, if you're not going to yeah. – it's, it's, it's a tough look, but if you're not going to do what they need you to do, it's not to say you're a bad player. You're just not what they need. And I think he could thrive in plenty of offenses in this league, but he's just got to find the right one, the right fit, and I think that's really important for him. Right on. All right, so this one, you know, I had to put it in there because I love talking about the running backs. Uh, we heard that there is going to be a committee approach this year with Brees Hall and Michael Carter. I just have a strong feeling that due to draft capital and overall talent, Brees Hall will be RB1 when it's all said and done. It's just, like I said, you've invested a premium pick into him, a second-round pick compared to Michael Carter being in the fourth. When I look at the body of work of Brees Hall, what Brees Hall did in three years was actually more total yards in college than what Michael Carter did in four. Uh, 
I see here that Carter had 3,400 yards in his four-year career at North Carolina. Brees Hall had 3,900 and change in three years. He also was one of the best running backs the last two years in college where Carter was in a uh, split role with uh, his running mate. Uh, it was down in Denver, and I just went blank on that. Uh, forgive me for that. Uh, Javante Thank you. Javante Williams. So I think that when Michael Carter was at his best is when he had a, a solid running mate. I think Bryce Hall is going to fill that role, and both of them will thrive tremendously in this offense. Zach Wilson played his best game when he had his best games in the end of the season when the Jets were able to run the ball effectively. A lot of that was on the legs of Michael Carter. He did end up getting banged up. We saw a little bit of uh, Tyrone uh, Johnson, and I believe they even brought in the guy, um, uh, Andrew... Austin Walter. Uh, Walter, or Austin Walter. Good memory. You have better memory than me tonight, uh, Mr. Dillon. He actually scored but a touchdown. But I do feel first. that... Here you go. So when I'm looking at this here, I think that the Jets wanted to get a workhorse, and I think that that is everything that Brees Hall can be but the Jets are going to be smart and keep both of these young men uh, healthy and give them a lot of fresh legs by splitting their roles into two. And the way I see it on paper and week one, Brees Hall will be RB1. How do you see it, Dylan? Yeah, I'm in agreement. It's going to be a 1A, 1B, more so than a 1 and 2, in my opinion at least. Um, but, yes, mm-hmm. I think Brees Hall has to be the 1A and Michael Carter has to be the 1B. Um, the one thing I looked up while you were going right there was that the most attempts that Michael Carter ever had in college at North Carolina being the running mate to Javonta Williams was 177, and that wasn't his final oh. season. I believe it was his sophomore year. So 177 attempts. Um, mm mm-hmm. Brees Hall, uh, his three years in uh, Iowa State, let's see, 2019, 186 attempts, 2020, 279, and in 21, he had 253. So he never, you know, Michael Carter didn't really come close to the usage that Brees Hall had. So, yes, I think Brees Hall should be the workhorse. He should probably be the goal line, the short yardage. Um, but Michael Carter is 100% going to have a role. Like, people shouldn't, um, maybe even fantasy players, I'm not really big into fantasy anymore, but I think Michael Carter is going to have a better fantasy value because of where he's getting drafted this year. I think people are knocking down his ADP so low that he's actually worth a swing because he's going to get, you know, the pass down work, not all of it, because mm-hmm. Brees Hall is a, a pass catcher as well, but he's going to have relevance, and I think a less is more approach with Michael Carter, where it's not like third and six, and everybody knows Michael Carter's, the, you know, the, in the backfield, so it's going to be him running the ball. Like, you don't want him running between the tackles trying to get you six. You want him doing the outside zone stuff, you know, patiently waiting for a block, hiding behind him with his size, you know, just imagine trying to find a Michael Carter-sized person behind him, a Kai Becton-sized person, you know, just like get out in space and hide and then just cut and go up the field. That's what Michael Carter is best known for. So I think that's what they need to use him for. Sure, he has the contact balance for a little guy and the speed 
to really break long runs, but you don't want to run in between the tackles. Yeah. Brees Hall, Brees Hall's definitely the workhorse guy. The maybe even, you know, like Green Bay has Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. And I think, you know, little brother wants to steal from big brother. So Mike LaFleur wants to kind of mirror that. And I think Brees Hall is very much like an AJ Dillon. He's not, I think he gives like, he still has 25 pounds on Brees Hall. So AJ Dillon is just, you know, a different back, but I think that's more of the approach they want rather than a, a one guy workhorse. And we shouldn't have to see Ty Johnson, Austin Walter. We shouldn't have to see street free agents down the stretch this year. Obviously Tevin Coleman will have a, a role. They love him. He's been, you know, mm-hmm. with them in San Francisco, so they know him. So I think it's going to be a three headed monster, but more so two big heads and one little head being Tevin Coleman. <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah, I can't wait to see this running game. It's going to be a lot of fun. And what's going to contribute to this running game and my mm-hmm. future cheeseburger, Mr. Dillon, is going to be the tight end Ooh. battle group. Now, what the fans do not know about is a couple weeks ago, Dylan and I and Glenn were on our group chat. We're talking about the tight ends. And I just have a feeling that Tyler Conklin is going to be the man this year for as far as the tight ends are concerned. Uh, there's definitely enough leverage with experience and, you know, the statistics and things like that uh, go toward uh, C.J. Uzama. But for whatever reason, you know, from what I've been reading and seeing some of the tweets, I think DJ, the enemy, was also putting it out there that Conklin will be tight end one this year. I'm very, very excited to see this happen. Uh, he had an opportunity to step up last year when Irv Smith went down in Minnesota, and he just grabbed that position and he did not let go of it. Accruing 61 receptions, 593 yards, and three scores. That is quite impressive from a tight end group, especially on an offense to where you have Dalvin Cook, who's a phenomenal running back and receiver, and then you have Adam Thielen, who's always been a uh, phenomenal uh, receiver uh, for this group, and then you have the uh, LSU product, and I just went blank again. This is the second time I've gone blank tonight. Um, Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. I almost said Johnson. Um, really got to get my notes together here, bud. I mean, amateur hour. But you got to think about with all those receivers and those mouths to feed in that Minnesota offense, Conklin, who was buried on the depth chart at one point, steps up and ends up with 63 recept- 61 receptions. And I'll say it right now. I feel that the potential of Zach Wilson is going to be better than Kirk Cousins. I think he's a very good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. I think Wilson has the potential of being a great quarterback. And don't count out Tyler Coughlin this year, ladies and gentlemen. He is going to be t- tight end one, maybe not week one. But I think when the season is all said and done, I think Conklin ends up being the guy, the man for this offense. And that's going to earn me a cheeseburger on our friendly wager. Well, to that point, I will provide the counter. I think while it is not going to be a runaway, you know, one person take all type of position, I think C.J. Uzama will end up with more receiving yards than Tyler Conklin, making him tight end one 
in my opinion. Obviously, it's not the only thing that makes you tight end one. But in yards, I think if they both play the full season, Uzama will edge out Tyler Conklin for yards total. Touchdowns remains to be seen because Tyler Conklin is very good in the red zone. I think, like you said, with Kirk Cousins, when they got down to the red zone, Kirk kind of relied on Tyler Conklin a little bit towards the end of the year. And those little, like, shake routes over the middle where he, like, you know, fakes right and goes back over the middle, he hit defenders with that quite a bit. So, well, I'm I'm not supposed to be hyping up Tyler Conklin. Oh, shoot, hold on. C.J. Uzama. So, (laughs) he comes from Cincinnati. He comes from Cincinnati. He was banged up. I don't know. When he took his brace off at the, the ceremony when they won the championship, and he's like, I'm coming back. He's like, I'm playing the Super Bowl. Like, I had him on my radar before that, but that was like, nah, we, the Jets need to go get this guy. Like, we need this guy at tight end because I feel like our tight ends were always hurt. And if we had, you know, somebody of Uzama's pedigree and his experience, I also think he's a very good leader. I think that's something that hasn't been talked about, but that will show up when the season arrives is that Uzama is going to keep this team together through the tough losses. We got to remember, this is a, a player that just went to the Super Bowl with his former team. Obviously, contract plays into it. So maybe Cincinnati offered him something he didn't like and he wanted a new atmosphere. But if that's not the case, he chose the Jets because he truly sees something in the team, obviously, and he wants to turn it around. He sees the potential in Zach Wilson or what have you, the coaching staff. So C.J. Uzama is here for a reason. And, yeah, it might might cost me a cheeseburger at the end of the day, but – I think with everything he brings to the table, he, he's going to be that leader, that vocal guy that, that keeps everybody together, that glue, so to speak. And, yeah, I think both of them are probably going to be Zach Wilson's best friends. They, they both went to the Yankees game with him, I believe. So, you know, they're already, you know, gelling, getting that off-field chemistry. So just having these safety blankets, you can't, you can't say enough about how, how different – the tight end position is going to look as a whole going from Tyler Croft and Ryan Griffin and Dan Brown to now Uzoma, Conklin and Rucker. But yeah, you're, you're going to buy my steak. I'll go, I'll go cheap. I won't go Wagyu beef on you, but CJ Uzoma <laughs> is tight end one. <laughs> hey, look, when the day comes around, you get what you want. I'm a man of my word. Um, and, and it better not be well done or anything like that. Cause we don't do that here. We're men. Medium. Uh, <laughs> medium. I could live with medium, no doubt. It's going to be good. I, I, I'm going to savor that moment as I bite into my cheeseburger. Believe that. Ooh, but, uh, okay, okay, okay. You, 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 yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go. All right, so uh, this will be our last position battle uh, group that we're going to talk about. I guess we could say we've saved the best for last. This is something that kind of was ramping up in conversations a few weeks ago. You know, we're in that kind of weird time of the year where there's not a lot of football conversations and narratives going around. You know, if there is any, normally it's not good because that means guys are doing things they shouldn't be doing in the off season. So no news is good news as far as I'm concerned this time of the year. But we're going to have to talk about the left tackle position. This will be probably the most talked about uh, and most dramatic position, what's going to happen with Makai Becton and George Fant. We're going to see from the guys at the beat when you and I get down to training camp, we're going to try to, you know, keep our eyes on that group and, and take a look at, you know, 
today Makai got, you know, reps with the ones, and then he was moved to the right side. And same thing with George Fant. I think it's going to go back and forth all camp long. Uh, you could literally flip a coin. I, I flip-flopped on this position numerous times thinking about this today. Uh, but I've come to terms with what I feel is going to be a reality for this team and for the future of this offensive line. I do believe that George Fant is going to take that left tackle position. Uh, He grabbed it last year due to injury. He played extremely well, easily the best offensive lineman that we had last year. I believe he's going to bring continuity to the offensive line group. He is one of the captains of this team. No disrespect to Makai Becton. He's a phenomenal talent, but he does have some experience when he was in Louisville at right tackle before he went to the left side. And neither of these guys are healthy at this point in year to date, neither of them. So I truly feel that maybe out of the safety of Makai Becton's long-term future, they're going to move him to the right side this year. He's going to end up playing out his career as a jet, as a right tackle. And then after Fant, plays this year out. It's his final year of his contract. I think the Jets are going to go looking for another uh, blind side, first round pick, left tackle next year. And who knows, maybe Makai will be in a competition again for next year, but I do think that it's going to be Fant over Becton for this year. And, uh, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, It's going to work out best for the team, but I just think that this is where the Jets are going to head for this year. Dylan, your thoughts. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, not only do I think it's George Fant's job and his to lose, but like I, I think he's. I just it's so hard for me to see a scenario where they, even if he is the exact same as he was last year, I don't see them changing his position again. Um, when they signed him to his three-year deal originally, he was promised a left tackle position. He was told that he was going to be the left tackle of his team. That was not the case. Uh, He started on the right side, and then obviously the injuries and whatnot had had occurred. And then we get to this year, he's still not the left tackle. Multiple uh, multiple years into his contract where they told him he was going to be the left tackle, he's still not the left tackle. uh, Was it Morgan Moses started on the – no, obviously Mekhi Beckham started on the left side, and George Mm -hmm. Fant started on the right. And I think everybody – would agree that that was the wrong decision. They probably should have started Morgan Moses on the right and had a true battle with Mackay and George Fant because obviously when mm-hmm. he got hurt, everything you know kind of went to shit. And George Fant came in and they did the right thing, put Morgan Moses at right tackle, and everything worked. But to go into this year and to say that Mackay Beckton has done really anything to earn that job back, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that that was true. I, I think he can work as hard as he wants in the offseason on his conditioning. Um, I'm not going to, you know, poo-poo on him for having a baby and not showing up to voluntary camp. I'm not that type of sicko. But mm-hmm. I just I don't, I don't think I've seen enough from him this offseason. Um, he works with Duke Mannyweather in Texas. Uh, ever since they broke for camp, Duke has had dozens – of players at the Star Academy. Um, and I have not one time seen Mackay Beckton in those videos. I watch every single one on his Instagram story. 
every single day. I don't miss it. I have his notifications on. I am a little bit of a sicko that way because I love my O line play <laughs> that I like. I like watching watching them, but but I don't see Makai there. And I'm not saying he's not working out. He very well could be curling, you know, dumbbells while he's holding his baby. I don't know. I just don't think we saw a trimmed down enough version of Makai Becton for this coaching staff to say, hey, you've earned it. You've earned it back. Go play left tackle, and we'll make, break our promise again to George Fant to play right tackle. Um, I, I'll even go as far as to say George Fant deserves a contract extension with this team for how well he played. Oof. I think they at least maybe maybe two years, maybe three with like a, a an out after two years, you know. But I'm not saying, mm-hmm. you know, break mm-hmm. the bank for George Fant or anything, but the strides that he's made since he came over from Seattle have just been tremendous for me to just say, go, go Makai, go be left tackle again. He could be a great right tackle. I think he would probably be one of the best right tackles in the league. Like, you know, even up there with Tristan Wirfs, one of his draft uh, teammates, so to speak, they were in the same draft together, picked two picks apart. It's like he could be up there with Wirfs as a right tackle. I just, I can't give him the left tackle spot based off what we've seen. That picture you sent of George Fant in the group chat, of him running Oof. wherever he was with his shirt off, that's night and day from what what we're seeing visually from Makai. I'm not gonna not gonna right. you know, say he's not working, of course. I'm just sitting at mm-hmm. home on social media and but I just I think I think we would see more from him if he was committed to putting in that work and really making people eat their words. So it's an unfortunate look for Makai but I'm not hating on him. Right. I think he'd be a phenomenal right tackle and probably still up there as the best offensive lineman on our team. But it's just that's all potential. We need to see actual production, and that's where I'm at. Right on, right on. Yeah, the the picture that uh, was shown uh, of George Fant working out uh, with his shirt off, he does not look like, you know, your average roly-poly, uh, you know, hefty guy. He looks like he's yeah. in pretty decent shape, and this is somebody that you know is currently dealing uh, with a, a knee injury. Uh, he had uh, mm-hmm. a little bit of cleanup work in that, I believe. We know that Makai is dealing uh, with either um, I can't remember it was an MCL or a uh, ACL tear, but both of these guys are coming off of uh, concerns with their knee. So it, like I said, it could be a flip of a coin here. You know, for Fant, it may have been a mental thing, you know, feeling out of position on the right side and going over to the left where his comfort zone is, and then you see him play extremely well. And he maintained, you know, that level of play throughout the course of the season, even when the gents were thinking to high heaven, (laughs) he still was one of the more solid individuals from that offensive line group. And that, that can't be denied. So uh, we're going to end up wrapping the show here. Um, Love to hear everyone's thoughts on our position battle tonight. If you want to have some fun on my Twitter account, I put out some polls today, which uh, correlates with our position battle discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to read out some numbers right now Uh, for the tight end one cheeseburger bet. uh, Tyler Conklin is ahead of of Uzama by 51.9% to 48.1%. So it's very, very close. Wow. I'd like to see what the fans, um, how this turns out tomorrow. 
when the poll goes down. And uh, I also put out the wide receiver group out there. Uh, Braxton Berrios is running away with the votes at 85.5%. Denzel Mims in second mm-hmm. with 14.5%. And no love for Jeff Smith. Zero votes, zero percent. Uh, wow. Joe, you might be the only one in, in his camp right now. So, uh, yeah, somebody's got to show some love for Jeff Smith here. Uh, and lastly, uh, the position group that we just talked about, who will be the starting left tackle? According to our fans and listeners, George Fan is going to win the job by 75%, with Becton being at 24.3% at the moment. I have to say it's going to be the most intriguing battle to watch. It may end mm-hmm. up making me nauseous, you know, having to hear the different takes back and forth. And then finally, when we get to see eyes of these individuals, we might get a little bit of a better perspective. But even still, we have seen year in and year out where certain players are looking like a lock, and then weeks before the season kicks off, you get those big, you know, roster cuts and guys are moving to the practice squad and all sorts of changes are made. So, I'm looking forward to seeing how this all pans out. We've got a long way to go here, and I'm just getting more and more excited each week knowing that we're getting closer to some serious football. Uh, but, Dylan, uh, let's uh, let's call it a night here. Any last thoughts before we uh, sign off for the evening? Uh, no, I just thought that was a great show. I, I, I do think we disagreed a little bit more than I thought we would. Um, I'm, mm. I'm glad that it wasn't so – cut and dry as I thought. I'm glad that, that we did disagree a little bit there, and obviously the tight end one is one to watch. But I will say yeah. that uh, for anybody that, that read the latest 2023 NFL mock draft from Matt Miller that had the Jets picking mm. one overall, please just read the intro before you read the mock draft. He didn't think the Jets <laughs> were going number one overall. He clearly thinks they're not going to be that. It's the football power index. That's where he got his, his – order from i just see so many people especially my mentions because i commented on it just calling them out Mm -hmm. i'm like there's just no need like it's it's july settle down the jets will probably Mm -hmm. pick in you know the 9 to 12 range and everything will be good we're not we're not picking late 20s we're not going to the playoffs but we're definitely not picking one overall but hey if we get will anderson i am not complaining (laughs) right on right on All right, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in again. We really appreciate everyone that's interacted with us and all our guests that we've had uh, at the end of May and throughout the month of June. Really, really appreciate everybody, Um, Emery Hunt, Green Bean, uh, Coach Mike Westoff, DJ Biennemi, really, really appreciate it. You guys really made this month awesome. Um, Glad to end the month of June on a good note talking a little bit about uh, positional players and and getting into it uh, with you, Dylan, mixing our opinions up a little bit and how we foresee this all playing out. Really, really excited. Uh, Good weekend, 4th of July weekend coming up. I hope everyone has a safe uh, holiday and enjoys your three-day weekend. Uh, We will be back next Tuesday night, 6.30 p.m. on Jet Nation Radio. Don't forget to go to JetNation.com, get involved in the forums number one fan forum in the NFL to where all the conversation goes 24-7, 52 52 weeks out of the year. 
You know where we're at. Come find us and have a great night. This is Alex Rowell signing off for Dylan Terman. And as always, let's go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23 and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.